Today I'm continuing to talk about humility being God's pathway to more grace. And I was taking as a foundation scripture James chapter 4 and verse 6 where it says, God gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You can get more grace and the way to get it is through humility. And I've just been sharing a lot of scriptures. You know, I've, I've made this point before, but our society has basically forsaken humility and has gone totally into pride, into self-promotion. It's basically a humanistic type of attitude to where we think that God is not going to promote us. God's not going to bless us. We have to do everything on our own. We trust in ourselves. We lean under our own understanding. You might call that by different names, but what the Bible calls that is pride. And so I've already used about 25 or 30 scriptures. I got a bunch more to go. And I'm just trying to overwhelm people with what the abundance of things that the Bible speaks against pride and for humility. Hopefully it'll help us to buck this culture and begin to start walking humbly with our God. As a matter of fact, let me turn over and read this verse. I don't have this one written down, but it's Micah. And it's chapter, um, I think I can find it. Micah chapter 6, and I believe it's verse 8. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, this is kind of a summary of everything. What does the Lord require? It's to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And I tell you, there's not a lot of people doing that today. And a large part of it is because it's not being taught on. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And in the absence of ministers standing up and advocating and promoting humility, uh, in the absence of that, this world is not promoting humility. This world is not submitting unto God. This world isn't recognizing anybody higher in authority than themselves. And so as they just preach their bad news gospel, uh, by default, many Christians are, are coming under this and adopting it because it's not being said. So I just want to share with you a lot of the things that the Scripture has to say about humility. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible is Daniel chapter 4. If you aren't familiar with that, this is the only chapter in the Bible that was written by a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king wrote Daniel chapter 4. And uh, it's a unique chapter. And anyway, I won't go through the whole thing, but he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw this huge tree that was so big it covered the whole earth. And uh, 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 what the Bible calls a watcher came down, an angel came down and said, cut it down, but put a band of iron around it until seven times have passed over it. And anyway, he had this dream and it disturbed him. So he called in all the wise men. Nobody could interpret it. Finally, Daniel came in and interpreted the dream and said, this is you. You're that, that tree. And the Babylonian empire had basically conquered the known world at that time. And it was just amazing. And Nebuchadnezzar had gotten lifted up in pride. And the dream was that an angel was going to come down and take his kingdom from him, and that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be like an animal for seven years. 
He would wear no clothes. He would eat grass like an ox. His hair would grow like fur. His fingernails would become claws. He would be totally crazy and eat grass for seven years. And then, because there was this band of iron around the stump of the tree, that was God's promise that God would return him back to his kingdom after he had learned that God ruled. And so anyway, this came to pass. And one day in Daniel chapter 4, he was walking and looking over his kingdoms, over his gardens. You know, the hanging gardens of uh, Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I mean, it was just awesome in, compared to other people on the earth. But he took it all as he had accomplished this. He didn't recognize God as the source and as he was saying, look at this Babylon that I have made, a voice came from heaven and said, it is done. The kingdom is taken from you. And for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar went and acted like an animal and ate grass. And at the end of seven years, he looked up, his reason returned unto him. God restored his mind unto him. And this is what he said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Then the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And then he goes on down, and that's when he became this animal. And at the end, it says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his way is judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Man, that's got to be one of the greatest understatements in the entire Bible. Here's a man who is the most powerful man on the planet and had done things that nobody else had done, had opulence, had gold, silver. He built an image of himself that was over 60 foot high that was all gold. He was powerful to the max and yet, here he is humbled by God and he just summarizes it by saying, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What an understatement. And then in chapter 5, this is the next chapter and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, he comes along and he starts throwing an orgy and he specifically commanded them to go get all of the gold and silver vessels that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem and let all of his people drink out of them in just absolute defiance. I mean, de detesting the God of the Jews. And as he was throwing this orgy and they were doing all of this, a hand appeared and wrote on the wall, not a body, but just a hand. And it wrote these words, many, many tinkle you farson. Nobody could interpret it. Finally, they brought Daniel in and uh, the queen, who, uh, you know, apparently had some respect for Daniel, she came in and publicized Daniel, said he had an excellent spirit, and if you will get Daniel, he will interpret this to you. And in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel, before he reads the interpretation to Belshazzar about what this meant, he summarizes what happened with uh, Belshazzar's um, grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to read this to you. So this is Daniel writing. He's speaking to Belshazzar, but he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather. So in Daniel chapter 5, verse 20, it says, But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride. Now notice, 
the way that Daniel puts all of this. This is a commentary on that previous chapter where Nebuchadnezzar went out and for seven years was like an animal eating grass. Why did all of this happen? Look at this again. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of man and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. You know, this is a point right here that is lost on a lot of people today. So many people think, no, I've done everything that I've done. I made this happen. You know, if you're a success in business, if you're making a lot of money, you think, I worked hard for this. I went to school. I learned this. I stayed up. I've worked 10 hours, 15 hours a day. I've done these things. Don't tell me that it's God that's the one who's the source of my prosperity. Whether you know it or not, God is the source of all of your blessing, just as surely as God is the one that raised Nebuchadnezzar up and allowed him to conquer these nations as judgment upon those nations. But Nebuchadnezzar took it as, look what I have done. Look at what this great Babylon that I have made. And he didn't recognize God as his source. And so God made him like an animal for seven years and taught him that, man, it's God that gives you your sanity and your ability to think. And that's what Daniel was talking about. And in verse 22, uh, Daniel said, And thou, his son, talk about, actually he was his grandson, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all of this. Boy, this is an amazing statement right here. There are so many people that in your heart of hearts, you know that arrogance and promoting yourself and taking credit for everything isn't right. On a heart level, there are some of you that your life is completely opposite what I'm teaching, but on, in your heart, you know what I'm saying is true. The Holy Spirit's bearing witness. You know this, and yet you still persist in doing things your own way. You still persist in taking the credit and the glory that should go to God. And yet you know that, man, you could have, things could have turned out differently. You know, in my life, I've sought the Lord I've been following God and I've done things, but I can tell you that I feel so privileged to be where I am. I feel so grateful to God. It's God that helped me to make the decisions. God was constantly drawing on me. God was encouraging me when I wanted to quit and give up. And things could have been totally different for me. Man, my life could have been different in a thousand different ways. Even though I was involved and I did have to follow the Lord, He doesn't force His will upon you. I guarantee you, it was God's influence. It was God that started March the 23rd, 1968, and He revealed Himself to me. And He called me and He did all of these things. And you know what? I've, I've followed Him, yes, but man, it is God. God gets all of the glory and the credit. My life could have been totally different. You know, I see, I see Bible college students that are going out and doing some things that I did in the beginning of our ministry, making some of the same mistakes. And I look at them and think they hadn't got a chance one. They'll never make it. And God has spoken to me and said, well, you make it, you made it. And, but it's a miracle. It's just the grace of God. And I mean, I can't take credit. 
for things. God is the one who is blessing me. God is causing me to prosper. And this is what he's telling Belshazzar. Even though you knew this, you didn't humble your heart. Man, we need to humble ourselves. You, you at a core level know better than the way you're living. And you need to humble yourself and submit yourself unto God. And he goes on to say, but you have lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass, iron, wood and stone which see not nor hear nor know and the God in whose hand thy breath is and who are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. And of course, the judgment went on as he interpreted this writing on the wall that God had numbered his kingdom, had weighed him in the balance, had found him wanting and had taken his kingdom from him. And that very night, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon and overcame it. It was supposed to be impregnable. And that very night that this handwriting on the wall was done, Babylon was overcome by the means of the Persians. And anyway, they're just some powerful things. But all of this, again, centers around pride. And he says he, he knew these things, but he didn't humble himself. Instead, he was, he was, in a sense, shaking his fist in the face of God, praising the gods of silver and of gold and of brass, iron, wood, and stone. Did you know that people are doing the same thing today? Colossians 3, 5 says that covetousness is idolatry. Did you know there are people that would never doubt bow down to a statue? They wouldn't worship an idol, but they worship the almighty buck, the almighty dollar. There are people that have sacrificed their families, their wives, their children, their health, and they are praising the gods of money and all of this. Covetousness is idolatry is what the Word says. And I guarantee you, there are people that even in their heart, they know that there's more to life than just getting a big house and big car and having things. And yet they are compromising and they're doing it their way. They're selling out to the world system. They aren't putting God first. I meet a lot of people that they know when I'm teaching on that you've got to give time to the Word of God and you need to spend time in prayer and study and things like this. There's a lot of people that know this, but they say, I just don't have time. Why? Because you've put your job first. You aren't working eight hours a day. You're working 16 hours a day. And you know what? You are just, you aren't humbling yourself. We need to put God first, regardless of what the consequences are. Somebody says, well, I'd never get my promotion. Well, then don't get your promotion. And some, I would never do that because you know what? Promotion to you is all important. But again, Psalms chapter 75, verse 6 says, Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It's the Lord that puts up one and sets down another. If you would put God first, God would promote you. And when God promotes you, then you don't have to sustain it. You didn't cause it. You don't have to feed it. And therefore, you can rest and you can have peace. But if you're the one who scratched and clawed your way and made all of these things happen then you have to maintain it. And that's the reason people are stressed out. And that's the reason they have health problems and on and on it goes. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 26, it says, With the merciful, thou will show thyself merciful. With the upright man, thou will show thyself upright. With the pure, 
Thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou wilt show thyself unsavory. And the afflicted people thou wilt save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, that thou mayest bring them down. Man, that's, that's an amazing statement. That right there, if that was the only verse we had, that's reason enough not to operate in pride, but to humble yourself and put God and other people first. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. This is out of the Amplified. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and undisciplined, flirtatious and alluring eyes, tripping along with mincing and affected gait and making a tinkling noise with the anklets on their feet. Man, it sounds just like today. Therefore, the Lord will smite with the scab the crown of the heads of the daughters of Zion, making them bald. And the Lord will cause them to be taken as captives and to suffer the indignity of being stripped naked. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of their tinkling anklets, the caps of network, the crescent head ornaments, the pendants, the bracelets or chains, and the spangled face veils and scarves, the headbands, the short ankle chains attached from one foot to the other to ensure a measured gait. You know, I've never seen this, but apparently this was being done in the days that the Lord inspired Isaiah to write this. But, uh, you know, whether they have chains or not, there are people that I guarantee you walk in such a way that it just somehow or another is projecting some attitude that the Lord is condemning here. And it goes on to say the sashes, the perfume boxes, the amulets or charms suspended from the ears or necks, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the cloaks, the stoles, the shawls, the handbags, the hand mirrors, the fine linen undergarments, the turbans, and the whole body enveloping veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of the sweet odor of spices shall there be the stench of rottenness, and instead of a girdle of rope, and instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth and searing of captives by the scorching heat instead of beauty. Man, this is amazing. And you know what it's saying? It's saying that all of the things that we project in, and we take so much pride in the way that we look and the way we dress and all of our ornaments and stuff, this goes right along with 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where it says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God. God is not into all of these things that just project ourselves and draw attention to ourselves. Now, there's a balance to this. This isn't saying that it's wrong to wear nice clothes or to comb your hair or to wear jewelry or something like that. There are some religious people that have taken this to a point to where they just believe that you're supposed to be as plain as you can be. I actually have known some people that thought that having rosy cheeks was somehow or another ungodly. And so they will put on huge amounts of makeup to make themselves look bland. Well, that's just weird. L let me use a New Testament scripture that'll put all of this in balance. First Peter chapter three, verse three and four, it says, who's adorning, talking to women, let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
In other words, it's more important that you reflect the godly virtues and the godly uh, characteristics of a godly woman than it is to just put it into all of this outward stuff. We ought to put the emphasis on the inner man and not the outer person. Man, I could spend a lot of time on that, but it is absolutely true. I bear witness with this 100%. In Luke chapter 1, verse 52, this is what um, was spoken at the birth of John the Baptist. And it says, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. And this is the way that God's kingdom operates. It exalts people of low degree. In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. If you were to read that in context, this is talking about the Pharisee and the publican. A publican was a person who was basically a traitor to the Jewish nation. They were working with the Roman government, collecting taxes, and the Roman government allowed them to overtax the people and take everything that was excess for themselves. So these people were working with the Roman government and taking advantage of their Jewish brothers and sisters, and uh, they were stealing money, and because of it, they were hated. They were like the most hated people in the entire Jewish culture. So Jesus gave this parable about a Pharisee who was the religious person who was the leader of the religious saying they wore special clothes, they fasted, they prayed, they did all of these things. And, he, and a publican and a Pharisee went up into the temple to pray at the same time. And the Pharisee, it says that he prayed with himself. And say, I like the way that it states that because you know, that's what he was doing. He was praying with himself. He wasn't communicating or connecting with God. He was just praying to himself. And there's so much prayer today that is all about praying with yourself. It doesn't have any real significance. You aren't making contact with God and it's not going to change anything. So this, public, this Pharisee prayed with himself and he says, Father, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like this publican over here. I fast every week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and I do this. And he was just projecting all of his good deeds. And Jesus said that this man, the publican, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He didn't feel worthy. He bowed his head and he smote upon his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He humbled himself. And the Lord said that the publican was the one that was justified in the sight of God, not the Pharisee. When you start proclaiming your own goodness and proclaiming how that somehow or another God owes you something, you're only praying with yourself. I guarantee you God's not listening to a prayer like that. What that is is pride. And he says that if you do that, you will be abased. But he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 26. It was talking about Hezekiah. And it said, Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had gotten into pride. He had people from Babylon come, and he showed them everything that he had. He bragged about all of his gold, all of his silver, all of his great things. He got lifted up with pride, and because of it, Isaiah came and prophesied to him, and he says, you're going to die. 
and this kingdom is going to be taken away. When he heard the judgment of God against him, he humbled himself. And that's what this is talking about. Because he humbled himself for the pride of his heart, God granted him an extension. And he, he lived another 15 years. And the uh, judgment on the nation of Israel did not happen during his life. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, it is talking about Manasseh, who's the son of Hezekiah. And it says, When he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now this Manasseh, he lived for, well, he reigned for 52 years over the nation of Judah. And he actually desecrated the temple of God. He put idols in there. He began to worship pagan gods. He even sacrificed his own children as human sacrifices to these demon gods. And it says that he did more to anger God than any other king that had ever ruled over the nation. But a prophet rebuked him. He humbled himself, repented, and because of that, God actually reinstated him. Even after he had been conquered and taken into captivity, God reinstated him, and he wound up being the longest reigning king in the history of Israel because he humbled himself. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be abased. But if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. You know, maybe there's somebody who's saying, man, I'm guilty. What do I do? You humble yourself. Just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for exalting myself. I'm sorry for living my life independent of you. I'm sorry for not giving you the glory when you're the one who's made everything happen. And if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. It's that simple. It says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Boy, what a great deal. Before honor is humility. I bet you that most of the people, nearly all of you, want to be honored. You want people to respect you. You don't want people to hate you and be down at you and, and criticize you and despise you and reject you. God made us for acceptance. God made us for honor. And so everybody desires this, and yet how many people are hum humbling themselves before God? It says before honor is humility. And this isn't just said in Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 18 says the same thing. In verse 12, Before destruction the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is, hum is humility. This goes along with the verse that I've already used, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, where it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. That is a great scripture. I can guarantee you probably every person is looking for riches and honor and life. And yet, are you humbling yourself? There's a lot of people that they don't even see the connection here. But this says, by humility and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to live a godly life. And by the fear of the Lord and humility are riches and honor in life. Maybe it's the fact that you haven't humbled yourself before God that has caused you not to have riches and honor and life. 
Have you seen your relationship with God and submitting yourself to God's instructions and doing it His way instead of doing things your way? Have you seen that as the path to riches and honor and life? And I would say that the average person has not. The average person sees God as something that we use for eternity. And so before you die, you want to get right with God. And some people might even see that there's some benefits. You might live with less guilt and things like that. But most people don't see that serving God and humbling God and waiting on God, finding out what God wants you to do and following His will instead of doing your own thing, they don't see that as the path to riches and honor and life. But that's exactly what Proverbs 22, 4 says. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Boy, that's huge. Here's God Almighty, the high and lofty one, and yet he dwells with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Did you know that's not the way it is in the world? These world famous people, they somehow or another look down on everybody else. And there's only certain people that are worthy to fellowship with them. They only mix with people of the same financial standard or the same, you know, the same impact, the same beauty, the same riches or whatever it is. But God's not like that. Here's Almighty God who nobody even compares with Him, and yet He chooses to dwell with Him that is contrite and has a humble spirit and revive the spirit of the humble. Boy, this is awesome. Did you know that David was called a man after God's own heart? And yet David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered Bathsheba's husband to try and cover that up. Now that was not a characteristic of a humble heart. That's when he walked away from God. He sinned big time. I mean big time. He sinned and I mean just caused tremendous problems. There's no way to whitewash what he did. It was totally, totally wrong. And in my opinion, I believe that the whole thing happened because he got caught up in his own prosperity. Let me just share this with you out of 2 Samuel and chapter 11. This is where his sin against Bathsheba is recorded. And it says in verse 1, It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabab. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So it says that it was the time that kings went out to battle. In other words, they didn't have some of the advantages that we have today and all of these things. So they fought when the weather was conducive for it, and it was time to fight. He still had uh, territory to win and to accomplish God's will, but he had reached a place of success to where he no longer had to lead the people. He had Joab, his general, that could go do it. This was a relatively small skirmish compared to some of the major conflicts that he had dealt with in the past. And so it was time for kings to go forth to battle, but he wasn't doing what he was anointed to do. And the next verse says, It came to pass in an evening tide 
that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David was just getting up as the sun was going down. You know what this means? He was sleeping during the day. David was bored. David had reached his goals, basically, and now it was just, you know, a mopping up exercise. And he was no longer under pressure. He was no longer having to depend upon God. And he was the king. He could do anything he wanted to. And so he just went and did his own thing. And in the next chapter, I'm not going to teach on this whole thing. I've got a whole teaching on David that goes into big uh, detail, a lot, of exp uh, a lot of detail on this. But over in Daniel, I mean, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, when Nathan rebukes him, he's speaking for the Lord and he tells David this. He said um, in verse 8, And I gave thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave um, thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. In other words, God's saying, David, I would have blessed you, but you didn't come to me. You're now king. You can do whatever you want to. And so you're just doing things you're all independent of me. You're operating independent of me. And this is what really upset the Lord. As he goes on, he says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. You know, most people would say, well, he didn't despise God. He just fell into lust. No, it's really because he started operating independent of God. If you were to go back and study the whole story of David, when David was small, when he was insignificant, when he was the least in his father's house, God exalted him. And David was so dependent upon God, he could have avenged himself. He could have taken the kingdom by his own power but he refused to operate independent of God. He was dependent upon God. But when he became king and he had conquered all of the territory and he expanded Israel to its largest boundaries ever, he quit depending upon God. He was goofing off. He was bored, sleeping all day long, getting up at night. And he went out and did things independent. And God said, you've despised me. But the good news is, that when God spoke these things to David, David, David repented. He humbled himself. And because of it, God did not take the kingdom from him. Matter of fact, God even promised him that your children would sit on the throne forever. And he gave him this everlasting covenant because he humbled himself. It's just like this verse that I just read where it says that he dwells with those that are of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble. David did things wrong, but when he was confronted with it, he humbled himself. And God gives grace to the humble. It is not based on your performance. David's performance was wrong, but he humbled himself. And because of it, God gave grace to him. Now contrast this with David's predecessor, Saul. Did you know that Saul never committed adultery, not recorded in Scripture? He never murdered his mistress's husband trying to cover up his sin. Saul didn't do some of the things 
that David did. And yet Saul was rejected by God because Saul didn't humble himself when he sinned. See, both of these guys sinned. Saul did things that were contrary to what God told him to do. And both of them sinned. And in comparison, now sin is sin, but in comparison, Saul's sin was not as grievous as David's sin. Saul was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice. And the enemy was approaching and he just decided, I can't wait any longer. And he went and offered a sacrifice, which was not right. And it was against the things of God. And because of that, God said that he was taking the kingdom from him. And then God gave Samuel the instruction for Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites. These people who had rebelled at God, there was a reason for it. And anyway, he told him to kill men, women, children, animals, everything. And when he came back, Samuel said, you hadn't obeyed the Lord. And he said, oh yeah, I did. He says, we just kept the best of all of these animals and we were going to offer them as sacrifices. See, you were supposed to offer sacrifices out of your own flocks, but instead of them deplenishing their own herds, they saved some of the animals of the people that they had conquered and they were going to offer them as sacrifices and that way they wouldn't be minus anything. And so Samuel said this to Saul. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. It says, And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. When Saul was humble, God exalted him. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10, when they actually wanted to make Saul king, Samuel went through this huge ordeal. He had all of the tribes pass by and he chose the tribe of Benjamin. And then he had all of the leaders of the families of the tribe of Benjamin come by and he chose the family of Kish. And then he had all of the family of Kish come by and he chose Saul. And Saul wasn't there. He went through this elaborate thing to pre pre uh, present the king to the nation and the king wasn't there. And so he had to pray and God showed him he was hiding in a basket and he had to go and they opened up this basket and here was this guy. He was so humble. He was so not self-promoting that it was just amazing. And when he was like that, God raised him up to be king. But Samuel said, when you were little, God exalted you. But now you have started doing things your own way. And Saul was a person that right here, God rejected him. He says, I've rent the kingdom from you. And Samuel started to walk away. Saul fell down and grabbed hold of Samuel's robe. And when he did, it tore. And Samuel said, that's symbolic of the way that God has rent the kingdom away from you. And even though Saul had lost everything, Saul says, but come and offer a sacrifice and honor me now in the sight of the people. He had just lost God's favor, but he didn't care about that. All he cared about was what the people thought. You know what that is? Pride. And pride led to his destruction. So contrast these two. Here's Saul, who compared to David, didn't do as much wrong as David did. But David humbled himself. When he was presented with his sin, he humbled himself. And because of that, God did not take the kingdom away from him. He promised it even to his children. He blessed him. And all of these things happened because he humbled himself. You know, when I'm preaching on being humility being the pathway 
to more grace. Some people could take this and say, so you're saying that grace is conditional on something and then they just come and say, you're countering the whole thing. Grace is unconditional. It's not conditional on your performance. David sinned big time, but he humbled himself. And grace is proportional to your humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm telling you, this is such a well-established fact in Scripture that it's amazing that things have gotten so far out of balance, but uh, a lot of it's because people just ignore the Word. The world system is all about self. It's all about promoting yourself. It's all about taking care of yourself, even at the expense of others. And that is just an ungodly attitude. Jesus said that love, no greater love hath any man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And God's kind of love is not selfish. It is not self-promoting. As a matter of fact, let me just turn over and use some of these verses out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Many people call this the love chapter because it's talking about how that doing everything through love is superior to doing it any other way. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and let me just take one verse here. In verse 3, it says, And though I, best, and though I um, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, you could even lay your life down and sacrifice yourself for another person, but if you do it outside of love, it profits you nothing. You know, we have a lot of people today that are having these jihad and they blow themselves up suicide bombers and stuff and they think that somehow or another that this gains them entrance into heaven or it's a good thing. The scripture says if you are doing something but it's not motivated by love, it profits you nothing. You could even sacrifice your life, but if you're doing it to earn something, to make something happen, it is worth nothing. Everything has to be motivated by love. And then it begins to give characteristics of God's kind of love. It uses this word charity, which is an old English word, but it's really better than just saying love. Because if we say love, you know, in our English language, we say, I love God, I love my wife, I love a dog, I love ice cream. I love this music. Hopefully there's a different meaning. You don't love your wife the same as you love a dog. But we just use one word, love, but charity is a specific type of love. It's a love that expresses itself in action. It's not just saying something, but you are actually doing something. The emphasis is on doing. And that's why we call organizations like Goodwill and Salvation Army charities because they do things to manifest and to express love instead of just talking about it. So this is talking about God's kind of love, charity, suffers long and is kind. Now this is giving you characteristics of God's kind of love. And love is actually, I'm talking about God's kind of love. When you love God, it, you will humble yourself. You will do these things. But see, there's a lot of people that what they're calling love today, it doesn't have any of these traits to it at all. And so what I'm trying to say through this is that love that does not conform to these things is not God's kind of love. It's not, you aren't submitting yourself, humbling yourself and receiving God's love. You're operating in a cheap imitation. And boy, this is just, I mean, in epidemic proportions. Look at this, God's kind of love 
suffers long and is kind. There are so many people that say, oh yeah, I love this person, but boy, they get ticked off, they get mad, they say things, they do things, they aren't kind. Did you know people aren't kind today? There's a lot of people that are rude and make a career out of it. Some of the politics that are going on during this year are, it's just unbelievable, the rudeness, the harshness. There is no kindness whatsoever. I don't believe that there's anything wrong with showing here's what this person believes, here's what I believe, and highlighting the differences. If you're running for a public office, you've got to be able to do that, and you might have to criticize a person's perspective on stuff. But even doing that, you could be kind. You don't have to be vicious. You don't have to be mean. That's not God's kind of love. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. is not puffed up. It's talking about it's not self-centered. Did you know that part of a God kind of love is humility? A love where it's all about you getting what you want. That's not true love. This is the reason that so many marriages fail. They say, oh, we love each other. But really what you love is you see that person as a way for you to get everything you ever wanted. You pick the woman who's just beautiful and stuff because you want everybody to envy you. It's all really selfish. It's all pride oriented. It's all you just it's like sticking a straw into a cup and you just suck the life out of it. And when you hear the at the end, then all of a sudden you say, well, I've lost my love and you throw them away and you go get another one and you're going to suck the life out of them. I'm not saying that happens every time there's a divorce, but many times that's what it's all about. You just married this person because you thought they were going to make your life perfect. It was all about you getting, not about you giving. And I guarantee you that's a recipe for divorce. That's not humility. That's pride. And there's a lot of us that, you know, when you get married, it's not a 50-50 and you have to do this and I have to do this. It's really, I believe, that you just find somebody that you can pour yourself into and you aren't sitting there demanding anything of them. You are giving. And then they should have that same attitude towards you. See who can outgive the other person, who can outlove the other person the most. But most people, it's all about selfishness. That's it's saying that God's kind of love does not envy. It does not want itself. It is not puffed up. Seek, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. I guarantee you, I'm going to teach on this more as we go through this teaching, but Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride comes contention. The only reason you get angry is because of pride, because of self-centeredness. Focus on yourself. And this is what it's saying, that if you're operating in God's kind of love, which is not selfish, it's putting other people ahead of yourself, it is not easily provoked. If you've got a short fuse, if it seems like you can just fly off the handle, you're a proud person. And I know that many of you didn't like that. <laughs> but I'm telling you the truth. I, you know, it's the truth that's going to set you free. It's not what other people do to you that's the problem. It's what's inside of you that causes you to respond to it. You can't control everybody else. Some of you are praying and trying to get God to remove every obstacle, every person in your life that rubs you the wrong way, and you just want your life to be perfect because there's zero opposition. I hate to pop your bubble, but you live in a fallen world. There is never going to be a time where there's zero opposition. If you think that there is, it's just very brief, 
and uh, something is around the corner, there's always going to be a problem. You can't pray and use your faith to get rid of every person in your life that might push your hot buttons and do something wrong in your life. That's not realistic, and God doesn't even want you to live that way. You got to, you know, we're the salt of the earth. For us to do our thing, we got to get out of the salt shaker. We need to be out there uh, interacting and, and uh, contacting people who have all of these problems so that we can make a difference in their life. He doesn't want you to just live in a monastery and withdraw and somehow or another try and seclude yourself so that you never have a problem come your way. You can't live that way, but you can get to where you deal with self in such a way that it doesn't bother you what other people do. I'm going to deal with that in a lot more detail. And it says that God's kind of love thinks no evil. You could say that pride always is going to think evil. It's always going to be looking for what could be wrong and imputing evil and the worst. You're going to think the worst about other people, whereas love will cause you to humble yourself. And as it says over in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let me tell you what this didn't say. It didn't say that you're supposed to have such a low self-esteem that everybody looks good compared to you. That's not what this is saying. There is nothing wrong with you recognizing that God has given you certain talents and abilities, that God has done something through you and that something has been accomplished. This isn't saying that you're supposed to think bad of yourself. It's not talking about putting yourself down. It's talking about putting others ahead of yourself, thinking better of other people than yourself. That's amazing. That's what this is talking about. That it, that it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity, God's kind of love never fails. And again, I believe that a large part of love is humility. That you can't truly love God and love yourself in a way that you exalt your opinion above God. You've got to have a subservient position. You've got to recognize that there's only one God and that you are not Him. And if you value your opinion, and if you think you are so awesome that if God asks you to do something that looks like it's going to be to your detriment and you just immediately, well, I can't do that, then you're operating in pride. It's not God's kind of love. You know, I have people come to me all the time, and we talk a lot about our Bible college, and we try and encourage people to come. And I've had many, many people talk to me and say that God has told them to come, but... And then they just list thing after thing. Finances, family members, they got a house to sell, they got dogs to take care of, they got this, and they just mention all of these things. And then they come back and say, what do you think? And I said, you lost me the moment you said God told you. If God told you to do it, do it. And they say, but what about, you know, what am I going to do for a job? I had one person tell me one time, I sleep under a bridge. How can I come out to Bible school? I said, we got bridges in Colorado. Come out and live under a bridge here. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way it has to be, but I'm saying that there is no viable excuse. If God tells you to do something, a humble person will just say, yes, sir, and you do it. And somebody says, but 
I could be killed. Doesn't matter. You do it. That's a humble person. And I know that there's people watching this say, I'd never do that. You're, you're describing now the fact that you are operating in pride. Now, see, you may not consider yourself as an arrogant person. You may think, well, I'm not a proud person. But if, you, if God tells you to do something and then you have to debate and it takes you a week, a month, a year to submit to what God is telling you, you can describe it any way you want to, but what it is, you're proud. You are exalting your opinion. You think you know more than God. That's pride. A humble person just does what God wants them to. They acknowledge that there's only one God. I'm not Him. God, whatever you say, I follow you. I, I do what you want me to do. And you know, sometimes it looks like it's to your detriment. When the Lord first touched my life, I had an experience where the glory of God showed up. And I saw the awesome holiness and glory of God. I, I just can't express that in words, but I saw the glory of God. And in relationship to God, I rec recognized my relative unworthiness. And I immediately humbled myself and threw myself on the mercy of God. And boy, that just changed my life. And I, I stepped off of the throne of my life and I put God up there. And I mean, to the best of my ability, as much as I understand, since that time when God tells me to do something, I do it. Now, I, I can't say I've done it perfectly and there's plenty of grace from God and God has been merciful and gracious to me, but I'm saying that that has been my decision and my heart since March the 23rd, 1968 is just to do whatever God tells me. And one of the very first things he told me to do was to quit school. I was in my first year of college. I had a student deferment. I was getting money from the government to go to school. And I had the acceptance of everybody. But God told me to quit school. So you know what? I did it. And it looked like I could have died. I mean, I got drafted. I got sent to Vietnam. I nearly died a number of times, but you know what? It didn't matter to me because that's what God told me to do. In hindsight, I can look back and there were so many good things that happened through that. I got separated from the, from the uh, environment that I was raised in. I was raised a Baptist. I'm not against the Baptist. Praise God, I got, sa I got saved through their teaching on salvation. And, and so I praise God for the Baptist. I'm not against them, but there were things in the Baptist that are, do not conform to the Word of God, such as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, faith, and on and on and on it goes. And if I would have just stayed in that environment, it would have hindered me receiving from God. But God sent me to Vietnam, and for 13 months I spent up to 10, 15 hours a day just studying the Word and in hindsight, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. And God supernaturally protected me and things worked out. But it wasn't what I would have thought. It's not what other people thought. Other people thought I was totally missing God. But God told me to quit school, which led to me being drafted, which led to me being shipped to Vietnam. And you know what? I just obeyed and it turned out to be awesome. God has told me to do things. He told me to give all of my materials away, which when I started doing that, I didn't know that another person on the planet had ever done it. But I started doing it, and we've now given away, I, I just am guessing, including our website, well over the equivalent of 50 million uh, tape sets, CD sets, DVD sets, books, 
all kinds of things. We have given away bunches of stuff and it doesn't make sense, but that's what God told me to do and I did it. And you know what? He's blessed me. He's told me to go places. Like when I first started in ministry, I pastored three little churches. The first two, the first one, I only had a, a maximum of about 12 people show up. And yet I stayed there for two years. And then the Lord told me to go to another place, Childers, Texas. We got up to about 50-something people there. And even though that wasn't a huge crowd, for the first time in my ministry life and in my married life, Jamie and I were eating on a regular basis. It looked like we were going to survive. Things were working out. And then God told me to leave that, which again, in some people's eyes, might not have been a big thing, but for me, it was the most success I'd ever had. And He told me to leave that and go to Pritchett, Colorado, a town that only had 144 people in it, to a little, a little church that had 10 people in it. And it looked like it was a step backwards. It looked like, you know, Pritchett, Colorado isn't a stepping stone to anything greater in ministry. It looked like it was totally putting it in reverse and heading in the wrong direction. But it's what God spoke to me. And because of that, I did it. And did you know what? Pritchett turned out to be awesome. We saw a man raised from the dead. I had these ranchers, farmers start supporting us. They put us on radio. That's where everything started and on and on it could go. And I could just name decision after decision after decision that it didn't make sense to me. You know, the scripture says that uh, the ways of God are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we just, with our little puny logic, can't always see things the way that God sees it. But if you would just humble yourself and say, you're God, yes, sir, what do you want me to do? And if you would humble yourself and do it, I guarantee you God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. And I know that many of you think, oh no, God wants me to turn and go this direction and I believe this is best for me. But God is the one who created you. He knows what will satisfy you. God will take care of you better than you would take care of yourself. You know, when I first really turned my life over to the Lord, I quit school, I went through the army, and when I came out, I was working for the public school system. I was a college dropout in the natural. I had no chance of ever succeeding in seeing anything happen, but I started working for the school system, delivering uh, videos, reel-to-reel uh, -reel tapes, and they would show for classes, and I would edit them and cut and splice and do all these kind of things. And anyway, I did a good enough job that the guy who is the director, over, the supervisor over the whole school system came to me and offered me a good job with guaranteed pay and even retirement. This is like when I was 22 years old. And it was just something that, you know, looked awesome for a college dropout with no future in mind. My mother just thought it was wonderful. But God told me I was called into the ministry and I had to give him a five-year commitment minimum. And I told him, I said, I can't do that, man. I'm available to God. And if God told me to leave tomorrow, I'm gone. And so I turned this down. And did you know what? To the natural mind, that looked wrong. But that was humility. 
That was saying, God, you're God. I know you told me to be ready to go. You told me you called me into the ministry and I submitted myself to him. And it didn't look smart. It looked like I was giving up a lot. But you know, here I am in hindsight, looking back 47 years later, and that was one of the smartest things I ever did. But I wasn't smart enough to know it was smart. I was just obeying God. I was following God. But God, see, His plans for me are better than my plans for myself. I could have had that job, and I could have had a guaranteed income, and I could have been retired by now and having a meager income along with Social Security, and I could be surviving. But you know, I'm thriving. And not only has God supplied my needs, but now we are building a Bible college campus. We've spent tens of millions of dollars, done things debt-free. I have $180 million I'll be spending in the next five years. And God is bringing all this money in. We're touching people's lives all over the world. I'm making my life count. And I guarantee you, God's plans for me were better than my plans for myself. And I'm saying the same thing is true for you. Some of you might think, oh no, if I was to submit myself to God, man, I'd never succeed. I'd never see any of my goals realized. Well, it's possible that your goals are not godly goals. And it's possible that you might not see your goals realized. But I promise you, if you would turn yourself over to the Lord and submit yourself, God would change your heart. He would get to where you... He would put His desires in your heart and you would wind up being more satisfied more content, more happy, more blessed than you would ever be doing your own thing. You know what I'm describing? Humility. Humility is just you turning your life over to God and saying, God, you're, you're the source. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God has given you the choice. You can choose if you want to direct your own steps, but the right choice is to say, God, I'm not smart enough to run my own life. I need you to run it. And so you step off the throne of your life and you put God up there. That's the right choice. That's humility. And you know, here's another verse. Let me turn over and read this to you out of Numbers chapter 12. And this is where uh, Miriam and Aaron, Moses sister and brother came against him and criticized him. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. You know, Moses was like an olive complexion, that Middle Eastern uh, complexion, and an Ethiopian was a black person. It was an interracial marriage. And they criticized him over this marriage. And here's what they said in verse 2. They said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. In other words, because Moses did something that they considered improper, they therefore thought that, you know what? You aren't the only person that could lead the people of God. We need to do it. We need more leadership. We need more authority. You know what that was? It was pride. They were exalting themselves. They were looking down and criticizing Moses. And look at the next verse. In verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the man which were upon the face of the earth. Man, that's one huge statement. You know, we don't know how many people were on the earth at this time, but there was probably three million Jews that came out of the land of Egypt that Moses led. 
and they were the minority in Egypt, so there was more than three million Egyptians, and then there was millions of people in the land of Canaan, and then there was all of the other nations. Who, who knows? There was 20 million, 50 million, whatever there were on the planet at that time. What a statement that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And you know what made this even more amazing? Moses is the person that wrote that. So you know what? He, here is the meekest man on the face of the earth saying, I am the meekest person on the earth. The way religion has defined meekness or humility, uh, a person who's truly meek would never know it. You wouldn't even allow yourself to think anything good about yourself. You're just always putting yourself down and thinking the worst possible thing. That's the way that religion has presented humility, but that's not humility. I heard a story about a guy that, you know, some church took a vote to see who the most humble person in the whole church was, and everybody agreed it was dear old brother so-and-so. He was the meekest man in the whole church. So they gave him this big old button like this that was red with the white letters on it, humble. They gave him this humble button, called him up on Sunday morning and gave him this humble button, and because he accepted it, they took it away. <laughs> because if he would truly humble, he would have said, oh no, it's not me, I don't deserve this. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, let me turn over here and read this. Romans chapter 12, and in verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. This did not say that you aren't supposed to think highly of yourself. It says you aren't supposed to think more highly of yourself than you should. But you ought to be sober. You ought to have a true evaluation. Most people think that self is better than anybody else. That is thinking more highly of yourself than you should. But then there's some people that think that they're worse than everybody else. That's thinking worse of yourself than you should. True humility is just having an accurate assessment, and I'm going to go into some other things about how it's depending upon God, recognizing Him as the source, giving Him the glory, and all of these things. But see, true humility, when Moses said he was the meekest man on the planet, God inspired him to say that. And it would have been pride on his part if he would have said, I can't say that. What would people think about me? See, that would have been pride. Humility is not exalting yourself, but it's also not debasing yourself. We've basically been taught that you can't debase yourself enough. You can criticize yourself, you can hate yourself, you can think badly about yourself, and that's all humility. But you just go just a tiny bit above what is right to say about you, and that's arrogance, that's pride. But see, it's like a stick. If you have a stick, it has two opposite ends that are pointed in the opposite direction. They're opposite each other. And there's a stick here called pride, and one manifestation of it is arrogance, where you think you're better than everybody else, but another manifestation, the same thing, is low self-esteem, to where you just constantly are down on yourself and thinking bad about yourself. Did you know that that's still pride? It's still the same thing. And again, many people miss this because they think, no, pride is only arrogance over here. No, pride is just... Here's the way I express it. Pride is just selfishness. 
self-centeredness. And it doesn't matter if you think self is better than everybody else or if you think self is worse than everybody else, you're still self-centered. It's still pride. It's still just focused on yourself. And I can say this with conviction because naturally speaking, as a young man, I was uh, a total introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. I was so timid. Now, if I got around people I knew, if it was people that I was comfortable with, family and stuff, I was okay. But I mean, around somebody new, I was just petrified. I actually had a man say hi to me one morning walking down the street, and he was two blocks down the street. I was sitting in my car before I could force myself to say hi back. I just couldn't communicate. And you know why? Some people think, well, that's, you were just timid. You were just shy. That's just your personality. No, what it was, it was total self-centeredness. I was so fearful that I was going to make a mistake that I would say something wrong. You know, here I am now speaking to millions, billions of people on television, and I still have some of the same tendencies. I, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't have called me. I would have called somebody who can communicate better than I can, who had a better voice than mine. You know, I, I don't care that much for my voice. I've had people ride in and think that I was Gomer Pyle, that I was imitating Gomer Pyle and uh, make fun of me and stuff. But God chose the weak things of the world, foolish things to confound the things that are wise. Anyway, I'm saying that I still have concerns about I don't say things as well as I should. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I stumble. I stutter sometimes. I do all of these things. And in the beginning, I wouldn't even open up and couldn't even say hi to a person, not because I was just that way by nature. It was because I was thinking so much about myself. I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to suffer the rejection and stuff. And that's all that timidness and shyness is. It is total self-centeredness. When I first started ministering, I was still struggling and working through these things. And one time I had a man walk up to me after I ministered and he said, you know, you've got some really good things to say. And if you ever got to where you were more concerned about the people you're ministering to than you are about yourself and what they thought of you, you could be a blessing. And I tell you, that was like a dagger to the heart. Man, it hurt, but it was true, and it set me free and let me realize that the reason I was struggling to talk in front of people was because I was so focused on myself. And by the grace of God, I've been able now to look beyond myself, and I think about you. I think about the people I'm ministering to. I know that what I'm sharing with you has changed my life. It has totally set me free, and I'm more concerned about you receiving than I am about what you think about me. God used an old donkey one time, not because it was an eloquent speaker, not because it had been through cemetery, I mean seminary, and not because it had done all of these things, but it was just available. And I am available, and God is using me. And I've gotten more concerned about ministering to people and seeing them set free than I am what people think about me. And you know what that is? That's humility. When you are thinking about yourself, that's what makes you timid and shy. So I'm saying all these things to help define what humility is. Humility is not thinking badly of yourself. It's just really not being focused on yourself. You aren't even thinking about yourself. You're thinking about God. You're thinking about other people. You're thinking about what God wants you to do. And if it benefits self, great. 
If it is a negative for self, no problem. You aren't self-promoting. See, there's some people that if what God asked you to do, if it looked like it was going to benefit yourself, man, you would do it in a heartbeat. But if God was to ask you to do something that looked like it was going to hurt yourself, most people struggle with that. And I, I was giving these examples earlier about people saying, God told me to come to school, but... And then they list the potential problems that could come if they obeyed God. And people debate and struggle. I don't have that struggle. Because back 47 years ago, I ran up a white flag. I made an absolute surrender to God. And if God tells me to do something, I'll just do it. And I don't worry about the consequences. It doesn't matter if the consequences are good and if it benefits me or if it's bad. I just don't care. If I'm convinced that God tells me to do it, I'll do it if it hair lips the devil. I just don't care. And I don't care if it's to my advantage or to my disadvantage. You know what that is? That's humility. I think that humility in its simplest form is just not being self-centered, not evaluating everything on whether it's going to benefit you or not, but you have literally died to yourself. You've made Jesus Lord. You are living for Him. And if, he, and if it's going to glorify Him, if it's going to bless other people, then fine. And you know, I'm saying some things right here that people could take as pride and arrogance, just as they did Moses' statement that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And they could say, well, that's a proud statement. But it was just him saying what God told him to do. And I'm saying these things just because I really believe that this is true. And I'm, I'm saying this to glorify God. But one of the reasons that our Karis Bible College is just so blessed. And I mean, people come in one way and they leave another way. I mean, it is supernatural. If you've never experienced Karis Bible College, you ought to come to some of our things because I mean it is a miracle. It is a modern day miracle. It is a oasis of God's love and people's lives are being changed. And why is it happening? One of the reasons is that I am not there. I'm not doing this for myself. A Bible college is the last thing I wanted. wanted. I'm doing this out of obedience to God. There isn't competition among me and other instructors. I can truthfully say that if I was teaching and one of the other instructors walked up and says, man, God gave me a word today. I'd like to take over your class time. I'd say, man, have at it. I'm not, a, I'm not here to build a kingdom. We are here to do what God told us to do. We're all cooperating and there is zero competition. There is zero envy and strife among us. I've, ha I've walked through my offices before and when we had uh, some of our instructors come on, I've had people come up and say, you used to be my favorite teacher, but now Barry Bennett or Wendell Parr or, uh, um, man, I just went blank on Arthur Mainchez or on and on you could go, Greg Moore or some of these. They say, now they're my, my favorite teacher. You know what? I'm not envious about that. God uses different people for different folks. It's no problem. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. And I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be everybody's favorite. I'm not looking for people to approve me and validate me. I'm doing what God tells me to do. And I really believe that that lack of promotion of self is one of the reasons that we're seeing the grace of God manifest. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And you know what? I can truthfully, I'm not just saying this about myself, but I mean all of our instructors, God has put people together 
that we are here to glorify God. It's not about glorifying ourselves. It's not pride. It's not self-promotion. We are here to make Jesus famous and not ourselves. And because of it, that you don't see the contention. I've had people come to our school who graduated from other Bible schools. I'm not going to mention names. And they were talking about how they're just so blessed. And when I found out that they've been to other Bible schools, I say, so what are some of the differences that you see? And I've had this for more than one person. And so I believe that there is a truth in this because it's not just, you know, one person that had this opinion. There's many different people that have said this. But the way that many people have characterized the difference between Karis Bible College and other Bible colleges, I've had more than one person point out that the instructors aren't competing against each other. They aren't critical of the other instructors. It's like that we're all on the same team, that there's a unity and there's a love and there's an acceptance. Or you could say that there is a humility, a lack of promoting self and rather us just trying to collectively promote Jesus and get Jesus and what He's doing across to people. And because of that, that's one of the reasons that God's grace is being manifest is because He resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. So humility can be defined in many different ways. And as I go through this series, I'll just give you a taste. I'm going to talk about that true humility is dependence upon God. True humility is giving glory to God. True humility is faith and love. And we're going to be talking about some of these other things. But it is not weak. It's strong. Jesus was strong, and yet He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Moses was strong, and yet He was the meekest man on the face of the earth in His time. And I'm telling you, true humility is just not promoting self. And that's what I'm talking about. This is the way that God wants us to live. He resists the proud, but He gives more grace to the humble.